So this morning throughout the summer, um, you've been on this journey with me um, talking about the topic of worship. And we've called this series Vertical, and we've talked about what worship is, and we've talked about the kind of worship that God desires in us and the type of worshipers he is looking for. If we go back to that definition that I gave you at the very beginning, I want that cemented into your minds. And go ahead and throw that up there for us. It's worship is focusing our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God in response to who he is and what he's done. That's our definition of worship that we've been building on this entire this entire series, and we're not finished yet. We've established that worship is more than anything our response to God. Amen? And that God desires worship that is based in spirit, meaning that it comes from the heart and the soul of who we are, not from external elements. Music does not create worship. Services do not create worship. Buildings don't create worship. Worship comes from the heart and soul of the worshiper. That's what it means to worship in spirit. And then we've also learned that God desires worship to be centered on the truth of who God is and who we are. And that the only trustworthy source for truth is found in the scriptures. It's found in the Bible. This is our authority. This is the truth. When we worship in truth... This is where we get truth and nowhere else. Okay? So today we're going to look at a text that God gives some pretty strong instructions about the kind of worship he is not looking for. And this one is going to be a little tough. Because if there's a type of worship that God desires from us, if he said, this is the kind of worship that I desire, this is the kind of worship I'm looking for, then it should cause us to logically ask the question, well, is there a type of worship that God doesn't want? Is there a type of worship that he's not looking for, that he doesn't desire? If he loves worship that is responsive and that's rooted in spirit and truth, Is there a type of worship that God hates? And could we go so far as to use that word hate? And the answer this morning is yes. There is a type of worship that God says he does not desire. And he goes even further than to say he doesn't just not desire it. He hates it. And so for us to be true worshipers, we have to understand what that kind of worship is so that we can make sure that we're purified when we come into this house and that we don't offer up to God a type of worship that he hates. You may be surprised to hear that. Some people would be. You may be surprised to think, well, God is love. So God can't really hate anything. But the scriptures tell us different. Uh, In fact, let me read to you from Proverbs chapter 6. This one's not up on the screen, but there's a list of things that the writer of Proverbs literally says. Here's a list of things that God hates. It's in Proverbs 6, if you want to write it down and go back and check it later. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. And this is what it says, very plainly. 
in verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So it's like, here we go. We're going to give you a list. You ready? These are things that God hates. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The writer of Proverbs says these are things God hates. So it is not out of the character of God to say that he hates these things. Because God definitely has the authority. We have saying just now, all authority is yours. So because God has all authority, he has the authority and the privilege to be able to say... These are things that I feel hate toward. Things that contradict his nature. Sin that corrupts his plan for who he wants us to be as his people. But he didn't talk about worship in there. Like you you would never think that God hates any kind of worship, right? Like that, that doesn't really make sense. It would be easy to think that God is satisfied with all of our worship because... We're actually putting forth some kind of effort. I mean, the fact that you're here says something, right? That you, you may say, isn't God pleased that I even make an attempt to worship? Isn't, isn't that, doesn't I, don't I get some credit for that, God? Today we're going to look in the book of Amos, from the prophet Amos, and we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And if you haven't found that already while you're turning there, I want to tell you about, um, there was a Mother's Day a few years ago, and we know what a big deal Mother's Day is. And uh, I was having an especially difficult time this Mother's Day trying to pick out a gift for Kim. And when we were young and dating, I was really good at it. I was really good at picking out gifts and writing notes, and, and I could really just flatter her, and I, I, it, it was great. I was good at it, but um, not as great at it now as I used to be. Um, so this particular year, um, I had a hard time coming up with something sweet, something thoughtful, something sentimental. And so I, I always, and, and this year I was really struggling with the balance of giving her something thoughtful while giving her something that would be useful to her. I didn't want to give her something that would be a waste. I wanted to do something useful. So I remember having this brilliant idea of what to give her for Mother's Day. A new vacuum cleaner. Yeah. Now, the whole truth is this. I didn't even actually buy the vacuum cleaner because I waited until the night before Mother's Day to actually go out to see if I could buy it. And when I got to the store, guess what? They didn't have it. It was a particular one. And so me being the, the 
you know, incredible husband that I am, I printed a picture of it off of the internet (laughs) and gave her a picture of a vacuum cleaner in a Mother's Day card. Yeah. So you can probably guess how that went. Um, Let's just say that she didn't melt in a puddle of affection for me at that point. Uh, It's not... The problem was not that she didn't want the vacuum cleaner. She actually, I was paying a little bit of attention because while we were out shopping weeks before that, she had actually seen this particular model and said, oh, I would really love to have that vacuum cleaner. So it wasn't that she didn't really want the vacuum cleaner. The problem was she didn't want the vacuum cleaner for Mother's Day. Ah. What had happened was I found myself being more concerned with making sure I had something to give her than, and I made that more important than why I was giving her the gift and how it reflected my heart toward her. I made the gift the big deal when the gift was not supposed to be the big deal. My heart was supposed to be the deal. So let's look at Amos chapter 5. In verse 21, this is what the prophet says to Israel. Verse 21, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no Regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. Now these are some strong words from the Lord given to the people through the prophet Amos. And I want to give you a little bit of background into the book of Amos, that's not one that we go to a lot, um, that, that we hear a lot from. But I want to give you a little bit of context. The book of Amos is what we call one of the minor prophets, one of the books of the minor prophets. Not because it's less significant, that's not why it's minor, but because it's smaller in size. It's a shorter writing. And Amos was not, didn't have any priestly or noble descent. Uh, Amos, by trade, was a sheep breeder. That was his job. That's what he did. And God called him to be a prophet to the people. And the message that God gives to Amos is primarily directed toward the northern kingdom of Israel. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Amos sends this message to the northern kingdom. Politically, it was a time of peace and prosperity in the northern kingdom. And because of this, the people had slipped into idolatry, unrighteous living, and social injustice. And the entire book of Amos is the pronouncement of God's judgment for their sin and then his plan to redeem them from it. So here, right in in this chapter 5, we find God specifically pronouncing his judgment concerning the worship that the people are bringing to him. And it's important to note that the reason for God's displeasure with their worship had nothing to do with their actual acts of worship. 
They were keeping all the festivals, all of the ceremonies. The services were exactly the way that God had instructed them to be. They were following all the rules. It was their lives that were the problem. There was no connection between the lives that they were living and the worship that they were bringing to God. They were compartmentalized. They were two completely different things. So because their lives outside of the ceremony of worship were hypocritical, it made their worship disgusting to God. So let's look specifically at what God says to them, and we're going to break it down verse by verse. Starting first in verse 21, God says that he hates their meaningless gatherings. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. They were being faithful to meet when they were supposed to meet and observe all of the festivals that God had instructed them to observe, but yet he uses the words despise and stench in describing his response to their worship. Their desire to gather was motivated by a self-righteous obligation. Their attendance was meant to be justification that excused them for their lack of righteousness in their lives. These were basically the people who were coming to church so that they could feel better about themselves for the sinful lives that they lived every other day of the week. And God says, I can't stand that. It stinks to me. Self-righteous obligation was their motive for, for attending these festivals. So this should lead us to ask ourselves the question, what am I really doing here? That's the question that we should pose to, each, to ourselves today, is what am I doing here? Really? Many of us are here because it's just what we do. It's both a commitment and perhaps somewhat of a habit. And the scriptures, I want to be clear, the scriptures speak often of the importance of gathering together. And you will always hear me encourage you to not neglect coming to church. So don't, mis- don't misinterpret what we're, what we're looking at here as to say, well, then if I'm not into it, then that means I don't have to come to church. But along with that, yes, you should be here. But along with being here, you should self-evaluate your motives for being here. We can make a list of all of the wrong reasons that people attend church. It wouldn't be difficult. But at the heart of all of those, if we were to list all these specific reasons, at the heart of those, it really comes down to two things. Either we desire to gain something that we don't have, selfishly, or we desire a positive response from other people. Those are the two core. If we could list all of the wrong reasons for participating in corporate worship, it would come down to that. Either I'm coming to get something that I want, or I'm looking to get a positive response from other people around me. We've said that true worship is our response to God, right? So we must make sure that the reason for our gathering is motivated by that response, our response to God. 
rather than seeking to get something out of worship. God honors worship that desires to give first, even if it's not a lot. You remember the little widow who came and put her two mites into the offering? And Jesus said she's given more than anybody. Our worship, if we come with an attitude of what am I going to get today? Bless me if you can, preacher. I hope Dan picks songs that I like. If it's all about you and making you happy, God says you're missing it. We come to worship to give our response to God, to give first. And rather than seeking to get a response from people, that's the other thing that we do. We want people to, maybe we want people to tell us how nice we look in our Sunday clothes. We want people to tell us nice things. We want people to see us at church so that when they see us in the world, they know, well, they've been to church. That We we want the recognition sometimes for being here because we want people to know that we were here. So we want to be seen. Rather than getting a response from people... Our motivation should be to bring our response to Jesus. Instead of me coming looking for a response out of you toward me, I should be coming with the heart to give my response to God, to him. Give, give, give. That is what worship is. Worship is not take, take, take. And that's what the people were making worship. It was centered around themselves, their righteous appearance, their desire to justify their sinful lives before God. And God says, it literally stinks. I can't stand to be around it. Verse 22. God says the same thing about their empty offerings. He says, though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. As I, as I told you, it was a time of political prosperity. The rich during this time were thriving. Their offerings were given as a stroke of their own spiritual ego. And to boast in their faithfulness and the size of their gifts. That was their motive. And God knew, knew that. But part of what God made so angry, what made him so angry in this was the fact that much of their wealth came from exploitation of the poor and the needy. They were bringing their dishonest gain and then offering it to to God as a sacrifice of worship. And they also withheld from helping the needy So that they could hoard up their offerings to take it to worship to look righteous in front of everybody else. It was for their own piety that they were giving. And God plainly says, I have no regard for it. And he says, I won't accept it. It's empty. It means nothing to me. I've heard people jokingly say before, jokingly, well, what good is given to God if nobody knows that you're doing it? And I've heard people joke about that, but you know how they say that there's an element of truth in every joke? 
Isn't there a little part of us who loves to seek that recognition for when we give, when we give something generous to church or we give something generous to other people? There's this ego that we have that we, we kind of want it to be stroked. Unfortunately, a lot of believers operate this way. And if we can't get face-to-face recognition from, from people, we go to the internet, right? We go to social media and we tell everybody about all of the generous offerings and gifts that we're given. Because we're looking for a response from other people. And God says, your heart's all wrong. Your life is so contradictory to what you're, what you're trying to put across. Like, I can't even take that. Again, our offerings, our, our time, it's not just money, our time, our talent are to be given as a humble, obedient response to the greatness of God, not to be tools to amplify our own greatness. That was the hearts of the people there. It was to make them look more righteous, to make them look more pious before each other and before the other people. And then look at verse 23. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. Their songs of worship were unbearable to God. Now, why didn't God like their songs? Is it because he has musical preferences like all of us do? Is it because Chris Tomlin didn't write the songs they were singing? Or is it because they weren't singing enough hymns, so God didn't like their music? Is it, is God, or, or was maybe God like this divine Simon Cowell who sits behind his table in heaven and says, you know what, you tried to make that sound good, but it sounded awful. Uh, you should just stop singing because that just is like nails on a blackboard. It just sounds terrible. No, it's, it's for none of those reasons that, that God didn't like their songs and didn't take their music. It's because their lives didn't reflect the songs that they were singing. It didn't reflect the hearts that they were bringing to God. Their songs gave praise to God, but their lives were full of self-promotion and self-preservation. Their lives were all about them, but their songs were about praising God for his greatness. Their songs spoke of God's deliverance while their lives lives left poor and needy people in bondage. And they were doing nothing to help them. Social justice was was part of God's judgment on this society. He said, there are people all around you in need every day, and you're doing nothing about it. And because of that, I don't want to hear your songs about deliverance and freedom. Because there are people in bondage all around you, and you're doing nothing about it. Their songs talked about God's forgiveness, yet their lives were continually immersed in habitual sin and they had little regard for the commandments of God. They would come to worship and sing about the grace and forgiveness of God and then go back into the week and dive into the same wretched, nasty sin that he had commanded them over and over to come out of. 
their songs spoke of the righteousness of God, but their lives were marked by sin and total unrighteous living. And so God's response to those songs, I want to stop my ears up when you sing. God says, when you sing all of those songs, and they're the total opposite of the lives that you lived before me, I literally want to plug my ears up. I don't want to hear any of those songs from you. And what you think sounds beautiful, what you think is beautiful instruments and beautiful voices is noise to me. Like somebody banging on trash cans. I, I can't hear it. It's obnoxious. But then in verse 24, he tells them what he does desire. More than their gatherings, more than their offerings, more than their songs. In verse 24, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Our worship inside these walls is built upon the lives of worship we live outside the walls. Do you, you get me? Whatever we do in here is built on what we do out there. So if we have nothing that we're building out there, what we come in here and do means nothing, is what God says. Without a foundation of living that daily pursues obedience to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect all the time. It's not what we're saying. It's not what God requires. But living that daily pursues obedience to Jesus, our gatherings are a waste, our offerings are of no value, and our music is noise to him. He spoke something similar through the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. God says, your offerings come secondary to the life that you bring me. Your songs are great. Your, your offerings, your gatherings together. Yes, that's what I want. But I want your life first. Your life is what all of those other things are built on. And if it's not built on that, all of this on top is just fake. Romans 12, verse 1. This is what God says he wants. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what kind of sacrifice? Living holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Can I just say this to you? God doesn't care what kind of songs we sing. He doesn't care. He doesn't care when the song was written. He doesn't care what instruments we use. I don't think he has a very high regard for what you wear. For any of those things. 
Your true and proper worship is your life. And when you build a life of worship, and then we bring it in, and that life flows out response in song and response in giving and response in corporate worship together, then the Holy Spirit shows up and God is pleased and honored. But if our lives are empty, if our lives are disobedient, if God is only an afterthought in our day-to-day walk and life, and we come in, we can have the best musicians, you can have a preacher who is way better than me, and you can have the nicest clothes and the most elaborate building that we have, and every bit of it would literally nauseate the Lord. That's not the kind of worship that we want to be. That's not the kind of worship that we want to come out of our family here at First Baptist Lindale. We want our worship to be pleasing to the Lord. Without the response of our lives, all of the other responses are useless. And they're not only useless, but they bring disgust to the heart of God because they become monuments of hypocrisy. All of our songs, if our lives are not pursuing Christ and we come in and we have these monuments of hypocrisy is what we're building. That was, that was one of the sins of the people. God was calling them out for the hypocrisy in their worship. And we build these monuments. And you know what the world sees when they, we build monuments of hypocrisy? They drive by and they look and they say, there can't be anything real about God. Look at that. But there's good news. So don't be discouraged. The good news is that we're learning together, right? The good news is that we are opening God's word and we're allowing God's word to instruct us instruct us, and to change our hearts. And we're changing the way we see and think about worship. And with that, folks, God is very pleased. So please don't, don't leave with this doom and gloom like, oh, Eric's mad at everybody. And we're, no, 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 no. We're, we're actually the exact opposite. I hope that we're ahead of a lot of other churches because we're actually talking about it and we're actually learning and we're letting God's word penetrate our hearts. I hope that through this series you could say that I've learned something new about worship. God is working in my heart. He's changing my perspective. As I, when I come into church now, I think about things differently. I think about the songs that we sing differently. I think about the way I respond differently. My, my heart responds in worship differently. That's, that's what we want. But I think the question that God would have us wrestle with this morning individually is what disobedience in our lives is making our worship unacceptable to God? Where am I building a monument of hypocrisy in my life for other people to see? And here's something we have to be careful of in this kind of self-evaluation. When we talk about building monuments of hypocrisy, 
that's only something that you can consider for you. If you're thinking about the hypocrisy right now, I'm just because this is where my mind went, and God had to say, Whoa, hold on, you're missing it. If the word hypocrisy comes up and the first thing you think of is hypocrisy in somebody else's life, then you're missing the point. <laughs> we build our own monuments of hypocrisy and what God wants is to say, you take a look at you. Let me deal with everybody else. But you, you look at you. Worship is your response to God. It's not mine. My response to God can't fabricate worship in your heart. It's, it comes from you. It's your response to him. So is there anything in our lives this morning? We want to take a moment and let God search our hearts and say, God, is there anything in my life, any any hypocrisy that's in my life that when I come into worship that it, it makes my worship stink to you.